You're listening to the ASN Kidney News Podcast. This is the second part of an interview with Barbara Schuster, Dean of the MCG UGA Medical School. In the first part, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim discussed with Dr. Schuster the challenges of developing a medical training program. In this episode, they continue their discussion on topics such as the future of graduate education and curriculum development. So what, what's your expectation in terms of where your students will go for residency and fellowship training? Todd, that's the hardest thing because in Northeast Georgia, uh, there are no residencies. Okay, so there are no postgraduate positions at all. The postgraduate positions, of course, are largely in Atlanta and in Augusta, with an occasional smaller program, mostly family medicine, and a few other places in South Georgia. We rank even worse in the number of residents. <laughs> for what our needs will be. Mm-hmm. We probably have 2,000 fewer residency positions than Georgia could really afford to have and, and needs in order to maintain its physicians. Uh, you probably know that, th- that resident physicians are more likely to stay within 50 to 70 miles of where they do their residency. So if we want our medical students to stay in the state of Georgia, we must develop graduate medical education programs. And the Athens campus, the medical partnership, is beginning to work with our local hospitals in Athens at St. Mary's and uh, Athens Regional Medical Center, as well as Northeast Medical Center in Gainesville and others in the area to begin to develop residency programs. Now, the residency programs we're most likely to develop are those that are most general. So general surgery, internal medicine, possibly OB, possibly ER, in that there are over 200,000 ER visits a year in Northeast Georgia. Is it possible to grow the number of residency positions without addressing the caps on the number of funded positions with the Balanced Budget Act of 1997? I guess that's the first question. And then the second is, from a state perspective, what is the state of Georgia's commitment to funding graduate medical education? So the last one um, I can answer very easily. So far in the last three years, they have put forth significant funds for the development of GME programs, for the planning and for the beginning implementation of the programs. The the answer to your first question is more difficult. There was a cap in 1997 because of the Balanced Budget Act, but that cap is for teaching hospitals. I'm talking about hospitals that have never had residents. Mm -hmm. And so there is a little difference. If you have a hospital that has never had a resident in rotation and you have not been a teaching hospital, the federal government will, in fact, give you a cap of residents by, de- by developing brand new accredited programs. So we, in fact, are told that in hospitals that have never had residents, we can develop new programs, have them accredited, and uh, be given a cap three years after we have our first resident on site. Now, do they transfer those positions from other funded positions, or are these new positions? My understanding is that they're new funded positions. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. And we, we've been working with the AAMC right. and others to, um, this is a whole new world because most of the time it's, it's the uh, teaching hospitals who are looking for more positions mm-hmm. and they're already under a cap. But these are hospitals that don't have a cap. Not to get too far afield, but if you were to go into a hospital that's never had educational programs, mm-hmm. particularly uh, graduate medical education programs, how do you begin that discussion with the hospital CEO? Carefully and slowly. Uh, and in fact, that has been the challenge. The expectation when I first arrived in Georgia would be that I would be able to do GME and UME, or undergraduate medical education, simultaneously. Mm -hmm. What is the problem? 
And as the UME came up quite quickly, and that, of course, is because of the help from Augusta and already having a substantial medical school accredited in place and a great deal of help from colleagues, here we were really into new territory. We're asking hospitals to change their mission, and that is a significant Mm -hmm. change. So not only must you work with the CEOs, whose bottom line is often, show me the money, mm-hmm. but we're also working with the board and the community. Many of the physicians who move to these communities are very well educated, but they chose not to be in teaching hospitals. Uh, we have uh, people in communities that are not used to having, not just medical students, but residents within their hospital system. So this is actually a true change in mission and environment for our, our neighborhoods. Just to circle back to undergraduate medical education, as you begin to develop the educational programs, what topics are the hardest to to teach to in a, in a new environment? I guess I'm sort of curious what's been the hardest to get off the ground. Well, probably just the first module in itself was hard to get off the ground right. because we had tried to use the model, the module mod- model that Augusta has used. Again, being a campus of the state medical school and being licensed with with the Augusta campus, um, we kind of wanted to parallel that module structure. But our idea was to have much greater integration. The theory being that if you could hook the clinical and the basic science together and have a framework on which students could really remember. I, as a clinician, learn the most by remembering a patient I saw. Well, they don't have the skills yet to be out really taking care of seeing patients, but could we model that in very well-developed cases? And so we began to write those cases. Now, writing a case is easy, but as my campus associate dean, Scott Richardson, would say, this is not writing a case. This is writing a three-act play because each case is unfolded over three days, and you only want to give the students enough information on day one to get them to a certain point, to get them questioning both the science and the medicine involved in the case, going out, looking for that information, bringing it back, working together as a group, and then taking them the next step. So where you stop each case and how you develop that so that it's not too difficult for them to make progress, but not too easy, that it doesn't really push them to do the kinds of questioning and investigation that you want, starting from no knowledge of medicine other than what a really well-educated layman would have. You then hook all of your large group work on into that case. So if you're starting, we had a case of a runner uh, in the last module a few weeks ago, and it was a great case. And and students can relate to that because so many of them run. Well, what's the science that we really wanted to get across? It was all about carbohydrate and, and fat and metabolism. And now how do we use that as energy in the body? So we wanted to do that biochemistry during that week. We also wanted to look at the muscles that they were going to be talking about. So that was their anatomy, the gross dissection of the human cadaver. And of course, we wanted to make sure the histology was there as well, because that's where the energy was actually, the, you know, the energy generation was taking place in those muscle cells. So hooking all that together in the same week made it come alive. And when the quiz took place on Friday, those questions were interconnected. It wasn't an anatomy question and a histology question or a biochemistry question. It's a question that could have covered one or more of those, those ideas. So as we move along, we're going to add more physiology. And then as we circle back next year, as we get more into pharmacology, 
uh, we're going to go back to some of that basic science, biochemistry and physiology to a greater depth as we make those cases more and more uh, in-depth and more complicated. Within the context of physiology, which aspects will benefit the most from more of a case-based approach and which are you concerned that you may not be able to get as have the students have as much exposure to? So we're trying to be very careful and we're trying to use the core principles of science in as many of the systems as we can so that the students always circle back and whether it's energy generation or cell signaling on the basic science side, transmission uh, between membranes and so as you know probably renal physiology has always been the most complicated for students whether uh, it's taught by basic scientists who don't do it in a clinical framework, or it's just much more complicated at the molecular level, medical students have always seemed to have trouble with that. So we will be doing the renal module this year and again next year. The renal module this year will be centered in cases like acute renal failure and chronic renal failure and maybe kidney stones. I don't actually know which cases are already planned for that. And through those cases begin to get down to what is going on in the kidney? You know, what, is, what is, happens when the kidney begins to fail and why? So we can really, again, hook that information onto something that they might know about. The person with type 2 diabetes who is now having kidney problems because they probably have a family member or a next door neighbor or a cousin or a friend, okay, who is beginning to look at those issues. And then hopefully we'll also have some patients from the community come in be able to talk about what they're doing, you know, how they're taking care of their, their, their diabetes or their heart disease and how it is affecting their kidneys. Again, trying to make that basic science really come alive for them so that they can really remember. So moving sort of beyond the first two years and, the, and sort of basing them in science, um, what do you foresee as some of the challenges with teaching this first class, the clinical aspects of medicine. So part of it will be the development of really outstanding clinical physician teachers in the community. Mm -hmm. And just like many other medical schools, and particularly off-site from the mother house, we don't have a university hospital. Just as we're changing the mission of the hospitals, we're going to need to help our local physicians who are very supportive of the medical students coming and working with them, but a little leery about teaching. And so some faculty development and some techniques for them on how to teach, what to expect of the students, and then teaching the students how, you know, how to help work with and learn with the, the faculty and the community and in the hospitals. From a sort of social perspective, what, do you have anything planned for the community and things that you'd like to see the students sort of giving back to the Athens community? Oh, yes, and they've already started. Yeah. So about week three, they said to me, Where's the free clinic? So we have just negotiated with one of the clinics in town that is faith-based. So we needed to do a little negotiation with that considering we're a state institution. We've just come to a really nice settlement of how our students can have Wednesday nights as the partnership night uh, where they can actually begin to run the clinic. It is a clinic that takes no money. So they're very excited about that. The faculty, of course, will right now be those who are seeing the patients because we only have first-year medical students. Mm -hmm. So they can begin to take histories, but they, they can't do physical exams or, or really make diagnoses yet. Uh, but they will grow into this, and over time, then, as senior students, they will be able to have more, be able to do more caring for the patients that they see. But we've already started community health projects. 
So we have split into teams of eight. We have five agencies in town. We've chosen a very interesting agency called Nucci Space which is a space for musicians. And you know, Athens is the home of B-52 and R.E.M. Mm -hmm. and widespread panic. And so there are many, many musicians in town. And this is a place for them. It's often, it was set up because uh, a young musician committed suicide and their family donated money. And we have a group going there to investigate and to see what they can do, what that community agency is like. We have a group going to Head Start. We have a group going to Council on Aging. We have a group going to the University Health Center, which is a uh, health Center for the UGA students and staff. It's an HMO, it's a closed panel HMO, and there they're going to actually be working with the problems of alcohol and smoking. You had mentioned you, that this first class are pioneers. Do you think that sort of community service is, a relate, is related to that, or is it something that's changed with medical students during your career? Um, or I a think, little of both? Yeah, a little of both, I think. Many of these students have some wonderful ideas of what they'd like to be, and we'd like to, to continue that. And, and have them, give them the opportunities that they want to experience a multitude of different ways to contribute to the community. Mm -hmm. um, some of them would like to look, work locally, others would like to work nationally and internationally. Um, the skills may be the same and we hope to give them those skills to do it appropriately. One must of course work with community agencies to learn how you work with because you don't just walk in and say I'd like to do this. It really has to be a working with the mm -hmm. agency. And I think it's been a change. Many of the students today, I think, are more active. They were more active in, in uh, their pre-medical schools mm -hmm. environment. Many of them who were UGA students had already volunteered at this clinic to do the kinds of work, whether it was receptionist work or working on the charts that could be done by, by people who didn't have a knowledge of medicine. Many people had already volunteered in other agencies. So I think it's partially the generation and, and partially because it is a group of energetic people who are ready to make this work. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.